This episode is brought to you by BetterHelp. Despite the fact that, as you know, I don't believe in time, I find myself often wishing I had more of it for the things I want to do, the things that give me joy and peace and spark my creativity. But often, it feels like life's obligations can be overwhelming, and I run out of energy for the things that really matter to me. Therapy is a great way to help not only hone in on what's truly important to you, but also to plan how to include more of it in your life. I've found that through therapy, I've become more adept at empowering myself through setting boundaries, making self-care a priority in my day, and making time for mindfulness and rest. As a result, I'm not so afraid of time anymore. If you're hoping to start therapy and are looking for a convenient and flexible way to include it in your schedule, BetterHelp is a great option. It's entirely online, you complete a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist, and you have the ability to switch therapists anytime you like, at no additional charge. Learn to make time for what makes you happy with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com slash darkcold today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash darkcold. Let's make time for a breath before this week's episode. Breathe in slowly. Observe the breath for a moment. And exhale gently. Let's begin. Hello there, my friends. How is your evening? What does it look like where you are, I wonder? The days are long and I'm not sure if I like it. I know I shouldn't be so predictable. But this time of year makes me feel a little unrestful because of that. And the skies have not been blue. The skies have been gray. That makes the daytime a bit harder, too, sometimes. But at night... Hmm. The night is always beautiful. I fear that I've been in denial about a few things as I roam my forest. As I make my little stories here. An invisible castle of stories that I very easily and very comfortably hide within. 
though in truth I am wandering the forest and trusting that I can survive here with no shelter. I am a very strong forest spirit. Surely I can do that, right? Do you think? Anyway, as I said, I have been in denial, perhaps, about something. I'm not sure what. It's a sort of nagging feeling. A lingering feeling from a long time ago. A time when I was a monster of a different kind. No, before that one. No, before that one. No, before that one. I have felt that it is best to be alone. I have felt that it is best to be so powerful, so strong, so magical, so frightful, that I would not need help from anyone else, ever, never, ever. Of course, I expect that I ought to help others, since I am so powerful, so strong, so magical, so frightful. But others are not to be trusted. I don't believe that, of course, but I feel it deep down, and I'm not sure why. I am a spirit made of the element of earth, so I wander dark, forbidden forests easily and bravely. There are other places, places made of steel and iron, born of fire, where there is little mercy for someone like me. Places on windy and wild cliff sides, where there is little quiet for someone like me. Places deep, deep, deep under the sea, where there are nightmares lying in wait for someone like me. But here, I wander, easily and bravely. But someone else has been wandering here for some time. He has come, he has gone, he has come again. He is a spirit made of the element of fire. I suspect that if I was reborn to be this... Then he was reborn from someone I hated, lost, loved, hated again, lost again, and loved again. Perhaps. But I will not say for sure, because I will afford him the dignity of being something new here. Just as I was afforded. He has helped me when I needed help, but never asked for it. He has tried to redeem himself in my eyes, and I have struggled to allow him to, simply because it is so lovely being alone, so quiet. It is so easy to not ask anyone for anything, and then no one hurts or disappoints you. It is no good, this thinking. He is made of fire but has worked so hard not to burn my trees. He has only burnt that which does not serve me. Come out again. Let's try it again. 
Let's just sit in silence, my friend, while I shuffle these cards. And draw one out. One that's already been drawn in another world. A parallel universe not so far from here at all. Again. Again. Twice in a row. Just like last time. It is the lovers. I suppose it makes sense that it always comes in pairs. I can easily tell my characters to love each other, to trust each other, to have faith in each other. So many stories I tell end in that simple message, that simple message that has failed to reach my own heart. So this is it then? I have been glossing over the lovers because perhaps I do not understand how to give myself over to love, harmony, peace, trust. Openness and honesty is easy for me, I think. It's trust that's difficult. I can be myself boldly and fearlessly, but to give myself, is that something else? And with the lovers, as I think I have told you, there is also the element of choice. Choosing what is most important to your soul. Meeting challenges and struggles with the decision to take the path that is in true alignment with who you know you truly are. Two powerful things. Like you and me, my friend. Coming together to be even more powerful. The lover's card does, however, promote self-reliance and the ability to make decisions with a clear mind and an open heart. But animals group together for survival. They know that they must in order to thrive. Perhaps they decide to. Perhaps I must also decide to. I'm not sure what to do. So I will tell a story. I want to tell you a story, but to be honest, it is the continuation of a story I told a long, long, long time ago. A tale of a lost labyrinth. I spoke of a brave but foolish hero who entered a horribly frightening maze in order to save a beautiful princess, ignoring the warnings of a beastly, hissing voice within it. And I shall spoil the ending for you, because I do not believe it will spoil anything. Instead, I hope it will enrich both stories for you. But if you like, you can go to episode 25 and listen to Lost Labyrinth first. Or after this. It is your decision. Take the time now to decide. Good. Now that we can continue, I will tell you that, at the end of Lost Labyrinth, it turns out that the princess the hero had intended to rescue was also the monster. 
a beautiful and monstrous creature with coiling, twisting serpents in her hair. She gave the hero ample opportunity to leave her confounding home, opportunities every hero before him had taken her up on. But the warrior had refused to leave. He was going to take her away from the labyrinth she loved, from the place she felt safe in. He was going to take her away and make her his bride and win her kingdom. And she did not want that. And so, with her incredible strength, she caught him up in her grip. And with her ancient magic, she looked at him with her own eyes and the eyes of dozens of serpents from her mane of strange, reptilian hair. And she turned him to stone. That was the end of the story. For a time. Our princess monster sat on her throne, and was content for a while with the sight of her handsome hero prince statue. How lovely he was. How strong. How brave. How fine in his armor, now stone like the rest of him. He had come to save her, but she hadn't wanted it. She loved her home. She loved being alone, where no one could appraise her, no one could barter for her. No one could use her as some kind of pawn in a bigger game she didn't want any part of. You know, princess things. She loved not being seen. For a time. But years passed, kingdoms fell, and monsters are long-lived things. And as she sat on her throne and stared at the stone warrior before her, the look of horror and admiration and confusion and anger still alive in those otherwise lifeless eyes, she began to doubt herself. Because the silence had grown tiresome, the solitude had grown painful, and she began to fall in love with his eyes. Yes, sometimes she hated him, when she recalled the way he assumed he knew what was best for her. The way he had tried to take her away from this place. The way he didn't listen when she had tried to send him away. But years had passed. He hadn't known any better. And though hundreds and hundreds of years, maybe even a thousand, who knows how time passes for monsters and princesses and heroes. After all this time, anyway, she looked at him and thought, Am I sure that he deserved this? Most nights she convinced herself that yes, yes he did. And I cannot possibly say whether she was right or wrong. I cannot say whether he had been right or wrong. I am not interested in judging these creatures who live in my stories. I am only interested in letting them come out and do what they will do. But one day, she began to hear noises. 
strange noises. At first she was certain they were just on the outskirts of her great labyrinth. Something that sounded like a dragon, a great beast, some monster far worse than her, yet also mechanical. There was the sound of metal and fire, and she could smell smoke, and something else she did not recognize. And with the sound of metal smashing against rock, and rock crumbling and falling to the ground, she knew that whatever it was, it was not trying to solve her labyrinth. It was destroying it. My Medusa, for the first time since long, long before she had ever even come to this place, felt afraid. She could not call out for help, for the only ones who would hear her were those violating the sanctity of this place. She could not run away, for if they found her, surely they would destroy her too. She had no one. Well, that wasn't quite true. She walked to her statue, to the stone warrior who she had taken her cruel, though perhaps not unearned, vengeance on. She observed his strong arms. She observed his great height. She observed the stone sword frozen in his hand. Did he hate her, she wondered? Did he feel anything? Would he remember what had happened? She did not quite understand her own power either. Had he been dreaming this whole time? Or awake, staring at her for centuries? Or had time merely stopped for him? And if he should return to flesh and blood... Would it be as if no time had passed at all? Or worst yet, was he simply dead? I need help, she whispered to the man who had once tried to take her hand in marriage without even asking for it. But times had changed. She had changed. And our princess had to make a choice, quickly. She put both of her hands on his face. It was cold to the touch, and the rock was rough and hard and unyielding. Could she even do it? How could she do it? Her serpents in her hair hissed and whispered frantic little thoughts to her. She shut her eyes instead and took a deep breath. Be quiet for just a moment, she said gently to all the voices in and around her head. She had done this to him. She had never let him out of her sight since. Even as she slept, she had slept in her throne, and the sneak tendrils of her hair kept careful watch of the statue. 
just in case, one day, he woke up and tried to take her away again. She didn't trust him. But now, she wanted him to take her away, and she needed to trust him. She needed help. And the sounds of smashing, burning, destroying, came closer and closer to her. The great metal dragon that had come was breaking through, breaking in, coming closer and closer. Though the snakes in her hair trembled and her ancient heart pounded, she turned away from the statue. She walked several feet away, her back to the hero. She stopped watching him. She let down her guard, and she waited. Forgive me, she said quietly. The painful sound of stone cracking, grinding against itself. A terrible groan of pain. A cry of distress. The hoarse breathing of someone who might have been drowning in something other than water. And then, the worst of it. <laughs> it was like joy and misery and terror and madness all at once. It brought tears to her eyes, but she did not look at him. She closed her eyes. And when he stopped, she knew it was because he finally noticed her. Though he was alive, she shuddered to wonder what he looked like after so long encased in stone. One heavy footfall at a time, she knew he was approaching her. His breathing came closer and closer, and it was faster and faster as his lungs remembered how to do it. Princess. He groaned, and he stopped, right behind her, the breathing almost right in her ear. But it stopped when the sound of mechanical monsters rang through the air. She wanted to say the words, forgive me. But she remembered how he had come here with conquest and possessiveness in his heart. And she couldn't bring herself to say it. So she wept instead and simply repeated, I need help. And gently, gently for a creature once made of stone, and before that, made of hunger, 
he placed his heavy hands on her shoulders and turned her to face him. Her eyes looked up and fell on his, and he saw that they were afraid, and she saw that his were afraid too. He was afraid she'd do it to him again, at first, but then realized she would not. She needed him, but he had to make sure. They had hurt each other, and they had been selfish in a past life, and they looked at each other now with new eyes. He saw her not as princess and not as monster. She saw him not as hero and not as warrior. Instead, they only saw shame and forgiveness reflected in the one's eyes, bouncing back into the other's endlessly. At that moment, one of the stone walls was brought down by a machine that had a great claw attached to it and strange black wheels, and it smelled of something combustible and terrible and awful. The great metal dragon had arrived and destroyed the labyrinth, and something brighter than the sun fell on both of them in the middle of the night, and several men in strange orange helmets froze in horror at the sight of a woman wearing strange beautiful silk gowns with a long tumbling mane of serpents falling to her waist, snakes fangs in her own mouth, and strange arms decorated with green and blue shining scales and long black talons. And the man, the creature at her side, was no less horrific. After so long as a statue, his skin was gray and streaked with white and black veins, like stone, and yet nothing like stone. His eyes were bloodshot, more red than white, and so they would stay from so long being wide open, and they were frozen in the state of exhausted awe. He wore armor and carried a sword that were both a shining gold. The workers only saw them for perhaps a few seconds before the warrior, with renewed strength, took the princess in his arms, roared with shining onyx teeth and a voice that sounded like a mountain avalanche, and crashed through another intact wall of the labyrinth, leaving the place he had been trapped in for a thousand years that was now almost entirely a pile of rubble. Rumor spread of the monsters in the labyrinth, it didn't matter. Rumor has spread about me before, 
and it hasn't stopped me from being my monstrous self, has it? There was a time when I hid my strange features behind sunglasses and scarves and gloves and cloaks. And I walked among you in modern cities. One time, I passed two people, also wearing sunglasses and scarves and gloves and cloaks. And I thought nothing of it, until I heard a strange sound. And I stopped on the street and turned to face them. He lowered his sunglasses to show me his red eyes. I recognized him. I had seen him in that maze long, long, long ago. A statue. But now he was something else. How pleased I was to see he'd made it. And she showed me her eyes, too. Not to turn me to stone, but to show me that she could. I smiled, and lowered mine, too, to show them my eyes, reflecting back at them fear and trust, too. They just smiled and kept going, and so did I. Thank you for listening so patiently, my dear, my lovely fiery one. As I watched him this whole time, as I told him this story, I noticed things I've been not letting myself notice. Like how sweet his black eyes are. Like how bright his big smile is. Like how intently he listens to my voice. Like how respectfully he holds his hands in his lap. And though he is all fire now, made of it entirely, and so he is not burning, but rather he burns. Does that make sense? Though it is all that he is, he is therefore so much bigger than ever before and so much more beautiful. Flickering orange, red, yellow, sometimes blue, even. Warmth and strength incarnate. He used to be pain incarnate, didn't he? And before that, shadow. And before that, cruelty. He replaced black feathers with a phoenix's, an angel who fell and was reborn on fire. He kept the burning, but he has moved on from the pain, and I admire him for that. I think I could learn something from that, and I think that is someone who can be loved and trusted. It is hard for earth to trust fire, 
just as it is hard for fire to trust water, and so it goes forever and ever and ever until it doesn't. I reach to touch his face, and though my finger burns, it does not hurt. It just changes color from the purple-stained digit it was a minute ago. It turned red for a moment, and then a shade of green, a new one, pale and new, newborn green, and, huh, a little green sprout just on the tip of my finger. I haven't seen one of these in so long and my eyes, for a moment, will stop reflecting yellow mirrors back to the light in the darkness. And instead, they will just relax and be brown. A little bloodshot, a little tired, but warm in their own way. Just for this one last moment, I will trust that I can be myself as I give you one last gentle little spell if you would like it. Rest well, my dear friends. Hello everyone, and thank you so much for joining me for episode 154 of On a Dark Cold Night. With you now is Kristen Zaza, the host, writer, composer, producer, and podcaster, etc. behind the show. I hope you enjoyed tonight's episode, and I hope you're staying well out there. I'd like to take a quick moment to shout out a brand new podcast on the Sonar Network that I'm really excited about, and hope you will be too. The Dubious Book of Famous Deeds is a history podcast based on a 132-year-old text that Paul Bates happened to find in an alleyway. The book in question is called The Pictorial Treasury of Famous Men and Famous Deeds, and it is full of inaccurate information of famous figures and the things they did in their lifetimes. Every episode, Paul and a guest dissect these extravagant tales by examining a particular chapter of this book. Think of it as a time capsule from the height of the British Empire, in all its progress, advancement, but also inequality, colonialism, and hypocrisy. Look forward to some amazing special guests such as Aurora Brown from Baroness Von Sketch Show and David Tomlinson from Star Trek Discovery. You can listen and subscribe to the dubious book of famous deeds at thesonarnetwork.com or wherever you like to listen to podcasts. I'm also sending a big thank you tonight to a new listener who became a patron on Patreon. Thank you so much, Fran, for your generosity and support. All monthly patrons of the podcast of any amount receive access to my ever-evolving soundtrack of the show. And actually, last week was a big one on Patreon for me. I added a new reward tier, which is $5 US, and gives you access to Kindred Spirit Rewards where, in addition to the soundtrack perk, you receive access to a monthly tarot reading video I make for my patrons, and I upload it on the full moon. 
I'm really excited about this, and I had a lot of fun doing my first one last week. And huge shout out to all my existing Patreon patrons who increased their pledges to meet the Kindred Spirit tier. I appreciate you so much. If you're interested in becoming a patron and having access to these perks, learn more at patreon.com slash darkcoldnight. If you'd prefer to donate one time instead without any perks, head on over to ko-fi.com slash darkcoldnight, or you can check out our t-shirts and hoodies at bonfire.com slash on-a-dark-cold-night. Thank you so much as well to our friend Rennie A, who updated their five-star review for On Dark Cold Night on iTunes. Thank you so much. If you're enjoying my work here as well, leaving a review and rating on iTunes would mean the world to me. You can also leave your thoughts on my Facebook page or anywhere else you like to review podcasts. Last but not least, you can find me on social media. I'm on Twitter at A Dark Cold Night, Instagram at Dark Cold Night Podcast, or my Facebook and YouTube page is called On A Dark Cold Night. I'd love to hear from you there too. I won't keep you much longer, friends, so please have a good night and a good rest. Speak soon. This podcast has been brought to you by the Sonar Network. Sonar.